Today's reading comes from James 3, and I'm reading from the NIV, and it's entitled Taming the Tongue. Not many of you should become teachers, my fellow believers, because you know that we who teach will be judged more strictly. We all stumble in many ways. Anyone who is never at fault in what they say is perfect, able to keep their whole body in check. When we put bits in the mouths of horses to make them obey us, we can turn the whole animal. Or take ships as an example. Although they are so large and are driven by strong winds, they are steered by a very small rudder wherever the pilot wants to go. Likewise, the tongue is a small part of the body, but it makes great boasts. Consider what a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. The tongue is also a fire, a world of evil among the parts of the body. It corrupts the whole body, sets the whole course of one's life on fire, and is itself set on fire by hell. All kinds of animals, birds, reptiles and sea creatures are being tamed and have, never, have been tamed by mankind, but no human being can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. With the tongue we praise our Lord and Father and with it we curse human beings who have been made in God's likeness. Out of the same mouth come praise and cursing. So my brothers and sisters, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flow from the same spring? My brothers and sisters, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. This is the word of the Lord. All right. Well, good morning, brothers and sisters. Welcome all. James chapter 3. We are continuing on in our, in our series on looking at the book of James. Let me pray and then we'll jump into it. Let's pray. Dear Lord, thank you for your word, for the way it opens our hearts and our minds and teaches us the truth of the world in which we live, but also uh, holds up a mirror to our souls and reflects back to us what is truly there. Lord, I pray this morning that we might have our eyes open to see what is reflected and our ears open to hear what it is you have to say about it. Lord, I just pray you'll help me to speak truthfully and clearly of your word this morning and that we might get heaps out of it as we gather here today. Pray this now in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I'm kind of hopping in uh, halfway through this series. Uh, Simon has, has uh, led us through chapters 1 and chapters 2, two great chapters in the book of James. And I'm hopping in halfway, so um, you know, forgive me if I feel like I'm repeating myself. or It's things you already know because you're a smart bunch. Um, but James, um, as a book, was famous for a few reasons, particularly famous in church history because um, uh, Martin Luther just hated it. He just couldn't stand it. He, he, didn't, he didn't want it in the Bible, call it the epistle of straw. So the story goes, he wishes he could cast it to the flames because, um, you know, there was a few reasons for that. But uh, one of the main reasons was because it, it taught something that was um, seemed to him to be opposed to his main theological point that he wanted the church to know. You know, Martin Luther grew up in a time of, you know, Catholicism was, was at the peak of its power. Um, and the church kind of had complete control over individuals' salvation. 
or at least that's the way it was described to him or understood by him. Uh, and he, of course, was like, no, 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 it's, it's by grace and faith with which we are saved. And he felt like James was saying the opposite, that it's, you know, last, what we would have looked at last week, that it's about deeds as well. So he didn't like it for that idea. He also didn't like it because there's only two mentions of Jesus in it. I don't know if you picked this up before. But uh, Jesus is only mentioned twice in the book of James, both kind of in passing. It's not um, a specific uh, theme of uh, the book of James. Uh, And yet, James as a book, um, I think, has made a really huge contribution to the church, I think particularly to the church in the modern era. it stands as this really practical book talking about how it is you live your life as a Christian. Paul, in his writings, was often deep in the theology, and he's kind of digging deep into some of these deep themes. Um, James's interest isn't really in the deep theology. It's, it's all in the practical stuff. You know, when there's a new Christian, what are the two things I tell them to go and read? I say, go read a gospel and go read James, right? The gospel, it's, that's, that's, you know, Jesus and what he's doing and um, that's the most important stuff. But James then is this really practical book telling you how to put those things you've just heard about Jesus into practice in real life. And today we have this funny little passage, this section, um, talking about the importance of the tongue. It seems like a lot of words on such a small subject, the topic of the tongue. But the point, of course, that James is making is that there is this reality where even though the, the tongue is small, it has great power to do both good and evil things. Uh, let me give you an example. Um, in the early part of the 20th century, there were these two um, towering economic figures um, called John Maynard Keynes and Frederick Hayek. Now, they both were around at the, roughly the same time and were uh, kind of writing these kind of new ideas, these fresh ideas about how to understand the economy as an as a, as a entity, as one big thing. Um, but they kind of drew different conclusions. Um, Keynes was like, um, the, the economy is this big beast, but you can kind of control it with government, right? Government is kind of like throwing the, throwing the, um, the, the leash on the economy and you can kind of steer it with stimulus and with debt and with interest rates and all that kind of stuff. Um, Hayek was the opposite. He said, don't do that. All you'll do is make it worse. So these two different um, philosophies and ideas were rising up at the same time and were in conflict as the world was modernising and how they were going to actually start to set up their economies. Long story short... Um, uh, Keynes completely wiped the floor with Hayek, not so much on the strength of his ideas, but just on the power of his ability to communicate to an audience. If you want to learn out more, more about it, you can go and look up uh, the YouTube rap battle, um, Keynes versus Hayek. It's very educational and um, entertaining, so that's, that's there for you too. Um, but Keynes was this six-foot-six tall, imposing, British, um, you know, beautiful orator. And it was said whenever he was in, walked into a room, it was like the lights were turned up, you know. Um, And every crowd that he had, he would just kind of entrance with his ability 
to, to speak and to communicate, while Hayek was kind of the opposite. He was more of an academic. He wasn't much of an orator. Um, English wasn't his first language. You know, all these sorts of things made um, the debate almost a moot point because of the power of Keynes's words. Uh, and today, um, most modern economies are kind of built on the back of Keynes's ideas, right, more so than Hayek's. Um, why am I telling you this? My point is this. Uh, if they were flipped, if Hayek was the more powerful orator and Keynes was the introvert, academic, there's a good chance our world would be quite a different place. There's a good chance that our country would be quite a different place. Um, not even because of the content of what they were saying, but the way with which they said it. Words are powerful. Words have the ability to vastly influence not just individual lives, but even the direction of nations. James makes this big point that even though words may seem small and the tongue is such a small thing, it can have great power to do both good and evil. Uh, here he is in verses 3 and 4 when he says, We put the bits into the mouths of horses to make them obey us. We can turn the whole animal or take a ship, as an example. Although they are so large, driven by strong winds, they are steered by very small rudders wherever the pilot wants it to go. Likewise, um, the tongue is a small part of the body. It makes great boasts. Consider a great forest is set on fire by a small spark. Once again, James gives these really practical and these beautiful um, kind of uh, imagery to explain and understand the point that he's making here. Um, and he goes on to say, uh, that small things can have the ability to control much greater, more powerful things. A horse, a ship, and a spark. A horse, of course, is a huge and powerful beast. Um, you know, horses were responsible for kind of the modernising of, of humankind in many cultures. But this big, powerful beast can be controlled by a small bit of metal that is put into its mouth. And there you can steer it left or right and get it to do your will. Or take a huge ship, a giant ship, um, that is controlled in these days, of course, by winds. These days it's controlled by engines and whatever, all that kind of stuff. This huge ship weighing thousands of tons can be steered by what is comparatively a small rudder at the back. Or the smallest of spark can burn down an entire forest. Um, we in Australia know that all too well. We saw it just the other day in the city, didn't we? Where some kids playing with some fire ended up burning down an entire block in the city. Something small that seems insignificant can have great power. And our words, he says, is the perfect example of this. Here's the point. In life, if there is one skill to learn, it is to be careful with our words, to be considered and measured in our conversations because our words have power, don't they? Um, at my old church, there was this guy called Ross um, whom I never met, right? He died before I got there, but all I ever heard was the legend of Ross, right? Uh, and I heard this legend from many people. Uh, and I'll, from a number of people, the, the, the way they remembered Ross was, the first time I came to church, Ross came and greeted me. 
and he was this warm guy and he was filled with nothing but compliments for everyone. He, he played tennis on Monday night with all the old fellas and whenever Ross was in a game, he'd always come up saying, I think it was a draw, guys. You know, like, he wasn't interested in winning. He just, he just wanted to be out there um, spending time with his, with his fellow guys. Um, one of uh, the people I was talking to who were telling me about Ross was like, oh yeah, we got Ross to play at our wedding, on the, the organ for our wedding. And they're like, yeah, he was blind in one eye and he was terrible. Um, but we just wanted Ross to be part of the wedding, you know? Right? That's, that's the power of Ross, right? The legend of Ross. Um, and, and how was this, um, you know, this person, whatever, communicated to everyone? It was, it was through his words. Is that he never had a cross word to say about anyone. Is that he always was the first to compliment and encourage. He was the one for whom was the, the, the first person to greet that new person, person that came into the church, right? The power of words can not only um, change the way people remember us, but can have an ongoing effect even after you've passed. You know, that was the thing, is that people still talked about Ross maybe a decade after he was gone. Of course, that is true, but the reverse is also true, is that careless words that are said can have... Um, a great harm that continues years and years past when they were initially said. I was at Soul Survivor Conference um, a few months back now, and uh, Matt Gillins, he's one of the guys who's kind of uh, one of the guys who, who runs it and keeps it together. He, he shared at one of his little things uh, a story from his past. Um, and he grew up just in uh, French's Forest Way, Belrose Way. And he was a really enthusiastic young teenage Christian, loved youth ministry, all of that kind of stuff. And he said to his church council, I, th- I want to put on a band night. This was kind of in the maybe late 80s. And they go, okay. He's like, it's going to cost a bit, though. We've got to, like, you know, pay the band up front. And they're like, oh, all right. So, so they did that. He, he booked the band. He got the deposit. Um, he made the flyers. He said back in those days they were, like, hand-drawn, and he photocopied them in black and white. You know, that's how he did it back in those days. And um, invited all his friends, and he put up all of the flyers. Um, and uh, the night came, and maybe you can guess how the story goes. They were hoping for 100 and 150 people, and they got 20. The, uh, the manager of the band was just furious. Just tore strips off him, like, wasting our time. We, 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 we played gigs to thousands, and we're here for 20 kids, you know. The church council came... Matt, we just spent however many hundreds of bucks, you know, 500 bucks on this band, and per head, that's not a very good use of our money, you know. He tells this story. And as I was sitting there, I was thinking, wow, that was like 30-something years ago, and he still remembers those words, doesn't he? He still remembers those words 30 years ago. When, not because of malice or, or, or stupidity, did he do something that was foolish? He actually tried to do something good, you know, like he put himself out there and he really, I hope someone patted him on the back and said, Matt, good, good try. <laughs> Next time, maybe we'll do it a bit different, you know. But the power that words can have to negatively affect people, but then to stay with them for years, even for decades, is a powerful thing. And it's something which we shouldn't overlook James's point is that small things can have big influence. A spark lighting a fire, 
um, a, a, a rudder steering a ship, so can our small words that seem small, that seem insignificant, have an ongoing effect larger than we even realise. Um, James goes on in verses 7 where he says, All kinds of animals, reptiles, creatures of the sea are being tamed and have been tamed by man, but no man can tame the tongue. It is a restless evil full of deadly poison. I think the point he's making here is we will all put our foot in our mouth at some stage. No one will have a clean sheet, right? No one will go 100 for 100 and always say the right things in the right times. We are all human and we are all flawed because of it. And along the way, we will say things that we wish we could take back. We will say things that come out and as they come out, we think to ourselves, oh, I didn't quite mean it to sound like that. Or we say, thing in the, say something in the heat of the moment and then the next day we think, oh, man, wish I could just hit control Z on a few of those ones, undo some of those ones. Um, but the reality is once it's said, it's said. We can't take back what has been said, like we can't erase it from history, but what we can do is make amends. You can't change something that's happened, but you can do something to, to fix some damage that's been done, to apologise when unnecessarily we have hurt or been unkind to people. We've accidentally put them down when our words, you know, either accidentally or intentionally have um, created distress or harm for others. We don't have the ability to change it, but we can fix later, apologise, make amends for the things that we do do um, that we wish we could change. Uh, verses 10. Out of the same mouth comes praises and cursing. My brothers, this should not be. Can both fresh water and salt water flowing from the same spring? My brothers, can a fig tree bear olives or a grapevine bear figs? Neither can a salt spring produce fresh water. Now James says, how can a fresh spring give both salt and fresh water? Um, the olive tree can't grow both grapes and olives. One is sweet, one is savoury, it can do only one. A spring cannot spring both salt water and fresh, you know? It can do one or the other. What James here is saying is that from our mouths, we should make sure that we don't spring both salt water and fresh water. You know, salt water will kill crops. Salt water can't be used for, for much that is good. We love salt water in this part of the world, but for different reasons. Um, fresh water gives life. He's like, oh, from, from our mouths, from our tongue, we should not spring both fresh water and salt water. We shouldn't say one thing to someone's face and another thing behind their back. We shouldn't use our words to do good and evil, to compliment and to put down. James' encouragement is to be disciplined when it comes to the tongue, to be people who are thoughtful about our comments, about how we speak and how they, those words will affect others. The key, of course, to taming the tongue 
um, is to change the heart, isn't it? The, the tongue is a reflection of the heart. What, what, what the heart is feeling is often what the tongue will say, um, be it good or bad. Um, when we're feeling anger or frustration or whatever, it, it affects the words that we say. Um, once you've fixed the heart, then the problem of the tongue will become less and less. Um, and like so often is the case when it comes to, uh, to sermons or to figuring out how to be better Christians is we just need to be more like Jesus. And it's the same case here, isn't it? Um, when our, our hearts are more aligned with Christ, when the things that we do and things that we say are more aligned with the ways of Christ, then um, our words will spring forth uh, fresh water, not salt. So here's the challenge from James chapter 3. Uh, is your speech filled with love and kindness, or can it be harsh and careless? And is there some work perhaps you need to do on reflecting about that? Looking inwards and thinking, why is it that my words are harsh and not filled with love? Is there something in me going on? that is welling up salt water from my mouth instead of fresh. Is there someone in your life that over the years, months, weeks, whatever it is, um, that you have said some words to that you wish you could take back? You can't take them back, but you can make amends. Is there someone for whom you have said something to that you know, that you know was painful? Is there someone that you need to find and apologise to or to just encourage or just to redirect how they might be thinking or feeling about themselves? Maybe there's someone in your life that you just haven't spoken to for a long, long time and you haven't given them any words of encouragement. You haven't been a spring of fresh water because for whatever reason um, you uh, have chosen not to speak to them. You know, that's often, unfortunately, the case with families, isn't it? We often do it with our own families. So we're not good at um, saying encouraging things or if there's a falling out, we say, well, I'm not going to talk to them. And the years and the years continue to roll past. Taming the tongue is about looking at your own heart, being critical to look at the root causes the reasons why you might say things that later on reflection that you wish you could change. Uh, and like so many situations, uh, the more it is we can become made in the image of Christ, the more it is the tongue will look after itself. The problem of putting our foot in our mouth will, will recede uh, because we won't be acting from that place of frustration and, and anger, but we'll be acting from a place of acceptance and love. Can I invite the band up? I'm um, sorry if you wouldn't mind praying for us, and we'll have our final song together.